Advent candle reminds us of the fear Mary overcame when God interrupted her dreams. Facing her fears, Mary found true hope in Jesus, the child of God she was favored to carry. The second candle reminds perfect love drives out fear. Joseph was afraid of what others might think. Fearful the one he loved betrayed him. His fear of not fitting in was confronted by truth through a dream and the words of an angel. Today, we turn our attention to the fields, to the sheep and the shepherds watching over them. Shepherding was a common yet not a prestigious occupation. It was a lowly position, humbling by nature, looked down upon by some. Shepherds had little reason to hope, felt unloved by most. Their fears of being forgotten shrouded them in darkness. 
a darkness that was about to be interrupted by the glory of God. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. As we light the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy, because today we are the recipients of this good news and great joy. The light reminds us the glory of God and joy given to everyone through Jesus. Enmity foretold in Genesis 3 has arrived. The promise made to Abraham has been fulfilled. A savior has been born to us. Advent is for all people, people like you and me, and especially those who fear like the shepherds did that first Christmas night.
the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. kingdom come and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old, it shall not kneel, it shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, it's in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me.
morning together. Father, it's just some services where the words are harder to come by. Maybe that's because words often are inadequate to truly describe or to explain what's going on or to talk about who you are. When it comes to praise and worship. How do we begin to truly define what that should look like when it comes to worshiping who you are, what you've done, what you're doing? When we recognize, Lord, the hope that we need, how desperate, Lord, we truly would be without you. How do we find the words to then truly explain what it is that we're going through, where it is we find ourselves? As I stand in your presence this morning, I'm just overwhelmed by the sense there's many here this morning knowing that they're in your presence. We're worshiping you, Lord, with open hearts, open hands, open mouths, are still battling these fears, Lord, that are deeply rooted. Today, God, we have a chance to step into the story of the shepherds. We've had little to look forward to. Who, who at probably at times even stopped dreaming, wondering what a better life would look like. And you chose to show up and step into their darkness, share with them the hope of the world. You invited them to become the first worshipers. God, today, would you step into this place? And into the struggles, Lord, that many are facing, into the fears, Lord, that we're battling, into the uncertainties, God, that are before us, into the brokenness, God, that we're dragging behind us, into, Lord, these diagnoses, Lord, that we receive that seem hopeless, Lord, into these moments where our children just seem to have turned their back on you, Lord, whatever the fears might be coming from this morning, would you shine your light upon them? Remind us, God, that we don't have to have words. We're just invited to draw close to you. Let us go today, God, and see these things that we've been told about. Let us go and see the Savior. You're here today, Lord. I pray, God, that we don't miss it. Thank you for the invitation. We thank you, Father, for the gift that you've been given. We thank you today, God, for the light that you're shining in the midst of our darkness even right now. God, be glorified, I pray, in this place through what we're going to experience, what we're going to hear, what you're going to do in the hearts of your people. This is what Advent is all about. God coming near. Do it, Lord, this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Um, I need to start off this morning with a little bit of a confession. How many of you are uncomfortable right now? (laughs) It's okay. It's not that serious, all right? Uh, I want to make a confession And I'm not sure if this makes me a bad pastor or not, but sometimes I cannot help 
but notice the absurdity in certain stories in the Bible. You know what I mean? Like as you read some of the particular stories in the Bible, I can't help but notice the absurdity that is written down in the Word of God. Particularly, I find some of this absurdity in the Christmas story. This is just one of the ways that helps me to wrap my mind around this because as I have to preach a Christmas story, I don't know if you know this or not, but for pastors, sometimes the Christmas and Easter uh, seasons can be the most difficult to preach because it's just the same story every single year. It doesn't change. The messages don't, and it's, sometimes it's difficult. Like, how do I come up with something new? And so sometimes as I'm reading these stories, I can't help but notice the absurdity in some of these stories. Perhaps it's because I just like to find the funny situations in life. I like to notice these things that are a little bit humorous. And again, if that makes me a bad pastor, I'm sorry. You still have to listen to me for the next 20 minutes or so. All right? Um, I think it's just that, again, the, there's, there's the, these humorous sides of these stories that, and, and some of the craziness that happens in here that, uh, that I think just stand out to me. This morning, as we continue in our Fear Not series, I want to look at a specific part of the Christmas story that is very familiar. But I think maybe in the familiarity of this story, we may just lose some of the absurdity. And just maybe it's actually in this absurdity that we find a little nugget of good news. Now this morning, in order to help us kind of wrap our minds around the absurdity of this story, I have decided to enlist the help of a couple of my current favorite singers, Tyler Childers and S.G. Goodman, who are going to read for us a portion of our scripture and provide just a little bit of commentary for us. Would you check this out? Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Is it perhaps... I'm going insane from all night, abiding in the field. Look at the thing up on the ridge. Ooh, what you reckon it is? It's moving. I think it's on wheels. Is it a plane? Look to a car. Come to a I heard a shout, what's going on? It's closer, it's coming our way. I could go on, but I think that's good enough, right? I don't think Pastor Brian actually believed me when I told him I was going to find a way to incorporate that into my sermon, but I did. What better way to hear scripture than through 
the words of Tyler Childers. I love the way that Childers recognizes the absurdity of this story of the shepherds. And as he's written this song, as he's, as he's taken the scripture and as he's used his creative imagination, uh, he's had a little bit of fun with it. Like, if you put yourself in this story, if you put yourself in the midst of this story, in the shoes of the shepherds or the sandals, whatever they were wearing, think about it. There's a little bit of absurdity to this story. You're watching the sheep in the middle of the night. Some of the shepherds are probably sleeping. Perhaps one or two is kind of taking the night shift, the night watch shift, uh, while the others are finally getting some shut-eye. And as you're there, you're used to the sounds and the sights of the night. You know those sounds, right? The coyotes howling in a distance. Uh, you hear, uh, you hear the, the, the locust. Maybe if there's a, a pond nearby, you hear the frogs. You hear the insects and the bugs of the night. You hear those things. Perhaps off in the distance, you catch a pair of eyes that happen to be reflecting the light of the campfire. The shepherds were used to the sights and the sounds of the night. But this night's sounds and sights were not that. An angel of the, Lear, of the Lord appeared, and the glory shone all around them. And from other instances in Scripture, we know that the glory, when the glory of the Lord was present, it was not an insignificant ordeal. And then this angel began to speak and began to tell of this Messiah that had been born. And then the entire night sky lights up as this great company of heavenly hosts joins in and sings praise to God. When you put yourself in the sandals of the shepherds, and when you consider that what the shepherds might have been thinking in that moment, it's easy to see a little bit of absurdity. But the truth is, the absurdity goes even further. And the absurdity is found in the immediate fulfillment of verse 10 here in Luke chapter 2. Do not be afraid. First of all, that's absurd right there. A being from the sky talking to you, right? Do not be afraid. But then goes on, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? For all people. This absurd announcement is to announce the arrival of good news that will bring joy to all people. And who is that news delivered to? The shepherds. It's like this story in and of itself is delivering on the promise that it's talking about. This good news that's available to all people is first delivered to shepherds. Now let's talk about some context real quick. In Roman culture, birth announcements were actually a thing for certain people. See, when there was going to be a birth of someone who was going to become an emperor, 
The greatest poets and orators were often hired to use their skills to proclaim peace and prosperity to all of the world. They wanted as many people to hear about the good news that would come about because of this future emperor being born. And so what they did was they used the people who were the best of the best at getting the word out. And and that's how we do things today too, right? Like it doesn't take some great marketing guru to come up with a great plan to get the word out about the world's biggest announcement. What do we do when we want to get the word out about something? We find the right people, right? We find the people with the biggest platforms. We have the Apple event to end all Apple events, to announce this great news. We find the influencers who have the biggest platforms, who have the most TikTok X and Instagram followers, the important, the achievers, the significant ones. When we have big news that needs to be shared with lots of people, we find those important people. They will be the ones to hear the news first because they are most significant. But again, there's absurdity in the story of Scripture. And there were shepherds. Shepherds would easily qualify as the least likely to have God's favor on them. See, the shepherds were lowly citizens. Now, in the scholarly world of biblical context and and history, there's some debate about the context of this particular time and the extent of the lowly reality of the shepherds. Some actually go so far as to say that the shepherds were the least of the least, that they were the bottom rung of society. That shepherds were not to be trusted. Shepherds were relegated to the outskirts of town. In fact, some said that that they were so that shepherds were so despised and so mistrusted that their testimony was not to be permitted in a court hearing because they're just shepherds. Now, some scholars don't quite go that far. They would just say that shepherds were just they were just lowly. They were maybe ordinary to below ordinary citizens. Poor slightly outcast, but no matter where you land on the the exact status of shepherds, I think there's one word that probably describes them best, insignificant. They just were. You know what I mean? They just were. They were there and they were insignificant. And as we continue this Fear Not series, where we're looking at these Fear Not statements and and tracing through the Christmas story, I think that the absurdity of the use of shepherds can speak to a very real fear of ours. The fear of insignificance. The fear of living a life that is just meaningless. The fear of living a life that goes unnoticed. The fear of perhaps being forgotten. Insignificance. And let's face it, we live in a world that hungers and thirsts for 
significance. Our politicians search for those opportunities when the cameras are on and the mics are hot in order to say the hot takes that will get them the most attention because why? Significance. All of the extra hours that we put in at work or maybe even sometimes we cut corners in order to get that promotion because that speaks of significance. Perhaps to get the coveted corner office. As I was writing that, I had this thought. I don't know what the equivalent is now that a lot of people work from home. What's the equivalent of the corner office when you work from home? I don't know. It doesn't work anymore. Striving for significance. The awards. The recognition. Striving for the high GPA. Striving to have that large stack of college acceptance letters, striving to figure out just exactly what my future plans are of picking the exact right college so that when I look back on my life, I can say I was significant. The posting on social media followed by the constant checking of notifications because this particular post might just be the one that makes me go viral. The desire to be significant. And you know, I hadn't really thought of this until last night as I was going over my sermon and kind of finalizing things. All of those things that we do that are driven by the fear of insignificance are things that are kind of separate from our religion or they're separate from our spiritual life. As I was going over this, I couldn't help but wonder if maybe there are things that we do in the realm of our spiritual church religious life that stems from that same fear of insignificance. But in the absurdity of this Christmas story, I can't help but think that perhaps God has something to say to our fear of insignificance and our fear of being forgotten. While the shepherds were easily qualified as the least likely to have God's favor on them, the reality of the story of God is that God's favor rests on the least likely all throughout Scripture. It just so happens that that's a theme of the Bible. An elderly Abraham was the least likely to have offspring as numerous as the sand. Israel was the least likely people to be a blessing to all nations. Moses was the least likely to lead God's people to deliverance. Rahab was the least likely to help them and to inhabit the promised land. David was the least likely candidate to be king. Mary, the least likely to bring about the Son of God to earth. Matthew, the tax collector, the least likely to join the group of disciples. Peter, the least likely to be the head of the new church formed to follow Jesus. Paul, the least likely to be perhaps the most significant church planter ever. God has an incredible track record of using the least likely. The most insignificant people all throughout Scripture. But on the other hand, 
the fear of being exactly who God uses over and over drives so much of our lives. The greatest breaking news of all comes to the insignificant. Think about who was passed up in this story to be the first hearers of such great news. Kings were passed up, royalty, the religious leaders and religious elite, all of the important people that you could think of were passed up when God wanted the world to know that the Messiah has come to bring great joy to all people. And instead, the news was delivered to the insignificant shepherds. Can I tell you this morning, that is good news for all people. But it seems especially good to those of us who have a fear of being insignificant. Or for those of us who have a fear of being forgotten, this is very good news. And I think that that would be a good enough sermon in and of itself. Like that would be good enough news if that was it. If it was just that God, the creator of all and the redeemer of all, chose the lowly and insignificant shepherds to lift up by allowing them to be the first to know. If the shepherds were just another on the long list of the least likely that the pattern of God seems to use, I think that that would be enough. But I think the rest of this story points to another level that shows up in this story of the shepherds. Luke 2, verse 11. Today in the town of, of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told, uh, told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds, that the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Did you catch the insignificance in this story? The angels told the shepherds, you will find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. The angels told the shepherds what the sign would be to know that this baby was Jesus. And the sign itself pointed to this whole idea of redeeming the insignificant. The sign was as lowly as the shepherds themselves. A baby. But not some royal baby. A baby who was born amongst the animals, 
wrapped in some ordinary cloths and lying in a feeding trough. You want to talk about insignificant? God took on flesh in the most insignificant way to dwell among his people. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. You would think by those lyrics that we're talking about some major royal pomp and circumstance type of arrival. But the reality of that incarnation comes in the next verse. Mild he lay his glory by, born that men no more should die. See, choosing to tell the shepherds first isn't just some cool story about how God cares for the lowly or about how God meets the lowly and the insignificant and raises them up to some high level of significance. Instead, the Christ child that we celebrate on Christmas actually reveals the character of God. The Christ child who was born in a lowly and insignificant way actually reveals the humility of God. That he took on the insignificance of being born to young, unwed Mary and Joseph amongst the animals. Christ embodies this lowly, insignificant position. And even at the end of his life, we see this same humility. At his crucifixion, Mark tells us about one of the centurions who had come to a full understanding of who Jesus was. And what I love about that story is that it wasn't revealed to him by Jesus being in some glorious high place. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw the way he died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. Christ was revealed to him in Christ's lowest point, the humiliating murder on a cross. And so what do we do with our insignificance? What do we do with this fear of being insignificant? What do we do with this fear of being forgotten, of living a meaningless life? What do we do with all of this fear? As I learn more and more about Jesus, I can't help but wonder if our fear of insignificance is actually for naught. Not because God somehow promises to lift us up to a higher position of significance. Like if I just surrender everything, then God's going to lift me up to some high significant position. But instead, because Christ actually redeems the insignificant. Christ steps into the insignificant and reveals it as the place where God is found. It's a major theme throughout the rest of Luke that those lowly and insignificant ones are actually the ones who are on the guest list, the ones who are actually ready and able to understand who God is. Luke makes it a point over and over again to show that it's the insignificant ones who hear and experience the great joy that is available to all. He emphasizes the calling of ordinary fishermen to be Jesus' first disciples. He tells the story of the lepers being healed, 
the tax collectors dining with Jesus, the woman caught in sin who anoints the feet of Jesus, the story of the crippled, blind, and lame being the ones who were invited to the great banquet. Jesus reveals himself in the lowest of the low. He also reveals himself to the lowest of the low. Over and over, it's the insignificant who are actually ready to hear the good news that brings great joy to all people. And so for us, for us who are struggling with the fear of being insignificant and the fear of being forgotten, for us, I think that that means that we don't have to spend our lives climbing and scratching, and clawing, and longing, and desiring to reach some high level of significance. We don't have to join in the rat race of our culture. We don't have to fall into the trap of striving to be the next influencer. We don't have to get to that next level because the Christ that is revealed to us in Scripture is the one who steps into the insignificant and redeems it. Remember how I had that last minute pondering last night about how we may strive for significance in our religious or spiritual life as well? I don't know about you, but there have been some low points in my own spiritual life. Like times where we call it in our churchy lingo, dry period, right? Where we're just in this low moment spiritually where like things just are not seeming significant and, and, and things are just like, things are just not going right in my spiritual life. You ever have those feelings? Or is it just me? Maybe you feel like that now. And maybe that's causing you to drive yourself crazy as you strive to find some more significance in your spiritual life. Like if you can just read more scripture or add more hours to your prayer time or attend more church gatherings or serve more people, if we could just do all of those things, then perhaps we can reach the next level of significance in our spiritual life. Can I end with some good news for all people? As I read the story of the shepherds, I can't help but think that perhaps it's actually in the lowest of lows in our spiritual life that God will reveal himself. So keep going. Keep going. And I don't know what the fear of insignificance looks like for you in your particular life. But for lots of us, it means this overwhelming pressure of doing something bigger and better. Like all that we've accomplished is never enough, and so we've got to do more and more and more, whether that's in our work life, our school life, our spiritual life, whatever it is that we're always striving for the next best thing. Can I encourage you with the good news of Jesus? That Jesus steps into the insignificant. Again, not to lift you up and raise you to some high place, but steps into the insignificant and redeems it and dwells among you there. Will you stand with me?
God, there's so, as I, as I even just <laughs> think about more parts of this story, I, I, I'm kind of uh, blown away by just the, the paradox of it. The glory that shone all around the heavenly host, singing praise and glory to you who, are, who is deserving. And on the same, at the same time, you entered into humanity as a baby. As a baby who was wrapped in cloths and lying in a feeding trough. God, I don't fully understand the, uh, I don't fully understand the paradox there, and I don't fully understand the absurdity of this, but God, what I do understand is that over and over and over in Scripture, I see you choosing the least likely. So God, for those times when we have been caught up in the rat race, when we have been caught up in fighting for significance, we repent. God, we repent knowing that you step into the insignificance with us. You redeem that. You walk alongside that with us. Again, as I read throughout Scripture, that is where you are revealed to us. So God, for those of us who are feeling insignificant, whatever arena of life that may be, God, we invite you in. Would you come be Emmanuel, God, with us in the midst of our insignificance? Speak to us and redeem us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.